Well, 2020 has been one of these surreal year with COVID-19. It uh, just has changed every aspect of our lives. Many of our plans um, were canceled. I know uh, Ellie's uh, family, they were planning to have a family reunion. One of the first time we, we, we have done anything like this, but, you know, didn't take place, although we uh, were looking forward to it. I uh, also to, uh, had other plans myself uh, during the sabbatical. I, I was planning to uh, go home to spend some extended time with my parents who are in their almost mid-90s. And, um, you know, because of the virus, um, my parents really didn't want me to come back. And, well, uh, plans had to be changed. There was just a, a lot of disappointment that uh, took place this year. And I'm sure all of us, uh, from the very beginning, when we heard about the virus back in March, uh, that we're waiting uh, eagerly for the vaccine. You know, they were working on the vaccine to come so that we might be able to go back to some sort of uh, normality. Pray that it will uh, arrive soon. And you know, last month, uh, Pfizer announced that their vaccine is 95% effective against COVID-19. Whoa, you know, there was great rejoicing throughout the world, and particularly those that are vulnerable, particularly those that are elderly and those that um, are in the front line uh, that, that are helping others, such as uh, our, our, our police and our medical personnel, our, our firefighters, um, they, they were very happy. And, and matter of fact, this is good news uh, made the stock market went crazy. They were all rejoicing. Well, similarly, to, uh, as we look at our passage this morning in Revelation 19, God's children, they were waiting eagerly for the coming of the Messiah, who will come back as kings and kings and lords of lords, and, and his glorious kingdom dwell root with righteousness. The Jews were to, um, under the, the root of the Roman Empire, and the Israelites were waiting eagerly for, for this Messiah to come, to, to, to set them free from the bondage, or the physical bondage uh, of, of the Roman Empire. And when Jesus did come, his first coming, uh, he came uh, to do something even greater than setting them free from the physical um, uh, bondage, but to set them free from spiritual bondage, from sin. He came to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin so that we can have an opportunity to be right with God, so that we can be saved. It's not until a future date when the second coming will uh, take place. And uh, Jesus will come back to earth to reign as king at that time. And, and Christ's alonged weight of the second coming is recorded here in our passage here in Revelation 19, which we're going to talk about. 
So we, we've been studying the passages that centers uh, on the person of Christ, highlighting his diverse excellency or, or, or virtues that we see in Christ. They seem to uh, be contrary to each other, but yet they are in perfect union in Christ. We, we have studied that, that Christ was the lion, but yet, on the other hand, we see that he is the lamb. We, we, we have also studied that, that Christ was God, but yet he was man. Christ was the master, and yet he came to be a servant. Um, Christ was the Lord, and yet he washed the disciples' feet. And, and we, 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 we also learned that uh, he was the king, but yet he wore a crown of thorns. Well, today we come to the last diverse excellence or virtue that Christ as a warrior and as the king of kings and who comes to marry or wed the lowly people like ourselves. That we, 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 we are part of his bride. Well, this passage um, in Revelation to, uh, 19, verses 1 to 16, uh, can be broken up into two major parts. Um, they're, they're contrasting events that are taking place. The, the, the first uh, half of the passage uh, deals with what's happening up in heaven. And the second half deals with what was happening on earth. So what was happening up in heaven? We see there was a, a great celebration that was taking place in heaven. And we're going to talk about what, what, they, what are they celebrating about. And, and, and on the other hand, on earth, we see there was confrontation that was taking place. And we see that when, when the Christ comes back again, he will confront evil. He will come to establish his kingdom. So let us take a look uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, please turn to verse 1 and 2. Let me just read that to you. It says, After this I heard what seems to be the loud voice of great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God for his judgment are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and had its avenge on her, the blood of his servant. So we hear a great celebration here in heaven. Their, their worship was loud and enthusiastic there was a, a great multitude, as this recorded here, that was worshiping and praising God for who he is and, 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 and what he has done. And we see in, 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 in these uh, verses that uh, who is he? That he was uh, acknowledged as the true and just, powerful in glory. He's worthy of praise. Well, what, what, did he, what, what did he do? And we see here he provided salvation. But yet, at the same time, he also provided judgment. Evil on earth will come to an end at that time when King, G when King Jesus comes back. 
And we see the heavenly hosts celebrating on the return of Christ, his second coming. Again, we see in verse 1, it says that there was a loud voice from a great multitude in heaven praising God. And, and this reminds me something very significant uh, back in 1997. It, it was the, the height of the promise keeper movement where, where men were rallied uh, or challenged to be godly leaders both in their home as well as in church. And there was a big rally that gathered, gathered the believers to come together in Washington, D.C. at the mall there. And, and matter of fact, there were some, uh, about a million people that gathered there. And I, I was privileged to be part of that, uh, that, that sea of uh, believers that were present. I, I remember in, in the beginning of uh, our service together uh, the mc asked us he says well what denomination are you all from and and everybody you know there's a bunch of gibberish you know all different kind of denomination that was uh, mentioned but then he went ahead and asked the next question he says who is the savior of the world and in unison all million of us said Jesus. Oh, man, that, 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 that was quite an experience. It was amazing. It was amazing. Worshiping together, praising God in one accord. It, it gave me goose pimple up on my arms, and it was, it was just so, so very uh, ex exciting. I can really sense God's presence there with us as we praise Him. We acknowledge and celebrated God's glory and His grace. It sort of gave me a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, where we could praise God for who He is and what He has done for us. And here in verse 1, we see the multitude crying out. It says, hallelujah. Hallelujah basically means praise the Lord. You know, we use this word a lot, but really in the New Testament, it only occurred four times. And all four times where this word hallelujah is recorded is in this chapter, Revelation 11. I mean, Revelation 19. And we're going to go through the four times that it's being used. So here in verse 1, the multitude praise God, for he is the source of salvation. See, although we are lost, God provided redemption for us through Christ. Glory and honor as well as power and authority belongs to him and him alone. He is majestic and worthy of our praise. As we look at verse 2, we see that John, the author, explained the reason why they're praising God, why, why, why is he, why are they so excited? Well, up to this point, it seems like evil was reigning on earth. Jesus comes back to reign and to judge the enemy. The heavenly host is praising the Lamb of God, the Lamb which talks about uh, Jesus, the King, for his wrath on his enemy. 
And we see that his judgment is true and just. More specifically, as we look at this uh, verse here, we see that Jesus has come back to judge the great prostitute. And, and if we look back in the previous chapter, this is referring back to Babylon. And Babylon was responsible for the, cor- for, for the corruption that was taking place on earth with her immorality, as well as, as uh, Babylon murdering the Christians. Christ, who's the Lamb, the, the, the great King, will come back to destroy Babylon, which is the capital of the evil empire. He will come back to avenge those believers that were martyred. God is a just God, and He will avenge those that were mistreated, that His people were mistreated in His timing. You know, many times, I'm sure we all have been mistreated one way or another. We uh, want to take things into our own hands. We want to seek revenge. But yet we see in God's word, he makes it very clear that God wants to do the avenging because he is the just and righteous God. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, never Avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. We see that when, when King Jesus come back, he will judge those that were the evil ones. In verse 3, it says, the multitude... Praise God again by crying out the second time. Here's the second record of hallelujah. In other words, praise the Lord. It's like, like, a, like an encore, you know. After the first major praise, another praise. Hallelujah to God. The judgment that was brought upon Babylon is just the beginning of an eternal punishment for their wickedness. And it will last forever. And in the third hallelujah is recorded in verse 4, where specific individuals were identified praising the Lamb for, for his wrath on his enemy. Let's take a look at verse 4 and 5. And it reads, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. We see here, both the angelic hosts as well as the those human elders, they were all bowing down before the Lord, worshiping him in one accord. They celebrated in agreement with one another with the multitude. By saying amen. You know, amen basically means so be it. Or in other words, I agree with what you're saying or worshiping at the, in, with this incident. Saying hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, when we worship the Lord, are we truly praising God with all of our hearts? 
or are we just kind of mouthing words? May we pay attention to the lyrics of what we're singing to the Lord. Let us worship God passionately, enthusiastically, with, with our whole being. Now, I know this is football season. I've seen a lot of football fans um, worshiping their idols as they play. And they, they are enthusiastically, passionately, with all of their well-being, praising and worshiping their idol. How much more should we worship God passionately and enthusiastically with all our being? And we see the heavenly hosts were doing that, and we see the elders were doing so as well. We see in the first part of this passage the celebration that was taking place in heaven. Well, they were celebrating two, uh, two things. First, they were praising the Lamb, which was King Jesus, for his wrath toward his enemy. So we saw him judging Babylon, the prostitute. But the second thing that they were celebrating, they were, they were praising the lamb for his wedding with his bride. You know, the lamb uh, is referring to Christ. You remember when John the Baptist um, described Jesus by saying, Behold, the lamb of God. So let's take a look in verses 6 and 7 to talk about this, this, um, this, this wedding. Verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seems to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunders crying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We see here in verse 6, they have similar language as we have read earlier in verse 1. Again, there was just this tremendous celebration that was loud and enthusiastic, like, like, like rolls of many water. In like sounds of mighty thunder, crying out, hallelujah. Again, this is the fourth mention of hallelujah that's being used in this passage. It says, for the Lord our God is almighty. He deserved to reign. We see Jesus comes to reign as king. So finally... Here in verse 7, we see the awaited marriage of the Lamb has come. Well, let, let, me, let me kind of back up a little bit to give you a little uh, background about the Jewish tradition um, dealing with wedding. Okay. Actually, actually, there are three stages or three steps uh, to uh, a wedding, a, a Jewish wedding, that is. First, there, there's this engagement. And usually what, what takes place is uh, uh, two sets of parents 
um, when uh, we, we gather together and and and, and uh, while uh, uh, the prospective bride and grooms were very young, they would make an agreement that they would be a good match for one another. That's called the engagement. And then there there was a a, a suitable uh, dowry that was uh, given to, uh, as part of uh, confirming this contract that they they made with one another. Then sometime later, uh, when these adult this these couple adults that are grown up, so so there's a period in between while they were young and and, and until they they, they were uh, adults. And, and ready to to more formalize the marriage, um, then there will be a ceremony where the bridegroom would accompany by his friends. They would go to the house of the bride, and then to claim her for himself, and then to escort her to his home. So that's 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 the second step, and then the third step is then the the, the groom would take her to his home for the wedding supper. And then all the guests would join in with this happy couple. You know, um, when I first started dating Ellie, I really felt unworthy to date her because she's really smart. She's much smarter than me. She goes, oh, who am I going to think? That she, she would want me. But uh, I thank the Lord for, for allowing us to, to get married some almost 38 years ago. But before the wedding, um, there was some Chinese tradition that I, I, need to, I need to pay a dowry, you know. And, and what that was, was I had to go to Chinatown. I need to, I need to get a, a whole roast pork on a big plate, a whole pig, a pig, you know, when I carry this, this, this pig uh, uh, to, to her house. And not only that, but I, I needed to order like 200 Chinese pastries. You know, they were going to have a big old feast at her house. And, 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 and I had to get all this food together. And, and I went over to, to her house where, where her family and her get, and their guests, the family guests were waiting for me to come, and uh, upon uh, my arrival, to, um, I, I gave my dowry to, to them, and, and they also gave something back to me. They gave me a new suit. They gave me a new belt. They gave me a new pair of shoes. It, it was a sign uh, of a new blessed uh, beginning. We then had a big celebrative meal together after that. So we see in scripture, matter of fact, in Ephesians 1, 4, it says, he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, God the Father has chosen us to be King Jesus' bride. You say, what? Unworthy to be a king's bride, of, of all King Jesus' bride. And there's nothing really, really that we have done to deserve his selection. It's totally grace. Jesus made a payment 
like a dowry to purchase us out of the bondage of sin. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then also in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Christ gave his life by dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins on our behalf. And when we place our faith in him, then we are saved. We owe our lives to him. See, today, the church, which is his bride, is engaged to Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called the wife of the Lord. And in the New Testament, the church is described as the wife of Christ. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. See, we're basically in that second step of this uh, Jewish wedding. Where we are kind of waiting for his Return that, that, that he would, he would, the, the bridegroom will come to claim us, the, 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 the church or the bride for himself and to escort us to his home. See, we as the bride are to get ourselves ready. We see this in verse 8 ready for the groom for his second coming. Well, what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime, getting ready? Well, let us again look back in the latter part, well, latter part, verse 7 and 8. It says, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Here in verse 8, the bride is described as dressed in fine linen, clean and white. See, this fine linen is described as the righteous deeds of the, sin, of, of the saints. Surely we're, we're not saved by any righteous deeds, but our righteous deeds do show our love to, our, to the groom. You see, the Bible says uh, in John 14, 23, it says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Also, in James chapter 2, in the latter part of verse 26, it says, faith without these is Dead. And also in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, how do we get ready for the coming of Christ? Is to live in obedience and to 
stay faithful to Christ? Are we being obedient to Christ's teaching? God is not interested in just what we know, but much more important, what do we do with what we know through his teaching? There was a brother that was uh, reading Psalm 68, which talks about describing God as a God of the fatherless. He's the God of the widows and those that are lonely and those that are poor. And this brother was really convicted and, and he says, well, you know, this is what God's word is teaching me and I need to, need to do something about it. I need, I, need, I, need, I need to show more compassion for the poor. As a result, um, he signed up and, and, and to sign up to partner with Sherman Elementary School to bring food to some needy family. Now, is God prompting you to do something today? Are you going to be obedient to the Lord? See, we get ready by obeying Jesus and by pleasing him. See, our righteous deeds are a sign that we love Jesus. Ask King Jesus today. You know, what, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you want? What do you want me to do today? We do not know when the bridegroom will return. But we need to be watchful. And we need to be ready. Make ourselves presentable before Christ. For the third step of the marriage is that wedding supper. So we've talked about the first part of this passage focuses on what was happening up in heaven. There was great celebration. Now we look at the second half of this passage as to what is going on on earth when Jesus comes back. And we see that there was a great confrontation on earth. We see this great confrontation can be broken up into two, two, two parts here. This latter part of uh, this passage. Uh, first, we're going to take a look at the appearance of the king. When he comes back, what, what, what does he look like? What, what do we know about who this King Jesus is? And then secondly, we'll take a look at the autograph of the king. Or autograph meaning his titles. He, he, he was giving a number of titles. And, and because of his title, it, it tells who he is. And it gives him the right to reign as well as to judge. Let us take a look in verse 11. Then I saw in heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it called Faithful. And true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So we see heaven opens up. And we see a rider on a white horse. See, a white horse symbolizes a victory, triumph. You know, many times you see a general riding in on a white horse after a big battle uh, triumphantly. 
Well, as we look in this verse, what was this writer or really is, 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 is we're talking about as we look at the context, this is King Jesus coming back in the second coming. Well, it says that he is coming to judge and to make war. There's confrontation here on earth. You see, um, Jesus comes to judge and to reign as king. See, the context of this passage, there were nations that were gathered together to oppose the Jews at Armageddon. And King Jesus will come back from heaven with, an arm, with armies following him to destroy all of these evil nations. Here we see the confrontation on earth. As we go on in looking at verses 12 and 13, we'll see more description of this king. We'll, we'll take a look at his, uh, how, how he's being described. Verse 12, it says, His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. You remember back in verse 2, we recall that Jesus was praised for judging the great prostitute for the wicked nations. And King Jesus will come totally destroying them. We see here is this, the king's eyes are like a flame of fire, which communicates fierce judgment. In the, on the head of the king are many diadem. These are crowns of royalty. It speaks of authority. And, and, and in verse 13, it states that the robe was dripped in blood. Now, this blood is... is, is uh, it's not referring to his own blood, but really uh, it's, it's the blood of the enemy as, as, as he comes down to confront them. He has come to judge the wicked and to claim his throne. Many believers that were martyred for their faith in Christ. However, we're going to see justice will definitely prevail. As King Jesus comes back, who is acknowledged as the faithful and true one, he comes to vindicate the saints, particularly those that were martyred. In verse, verse 15, provides three more pictures of judgment, namely sore, rod, and wine press. Notice what it says in verse 15. It says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Again, these three images, sword, rod, and wine press, depicts authority and judgment from the king. See, the king's sword had much power and would strike nations down. 
We see that the rod of iron speaks of authority to rule as king. He has the right to make judgment because of his position. And then the wine press symbolizes judgment also as it speaks about the wrath of God being poured out. It is poured upon those that challenge God's authority. God's given King Jesus the authority to judge as well as to rule. Too often uh, we tend to see King Jesus as a loving God. But we need to remember that uh, he is also a righteous and judge and just God. That he will judge evil and sin. And may we not take sin lightly. For we will be held accountable for our sins. So we see here, um, not only do we identify the appearances of the king. You know, we, we, we checked out uh, his eyes, his, his tongue, and so forth, uh, his mouth, and, 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 and the description of who he is. Uh, but uh, I want to look at the second part, uh, which talks about the autographs or the titles that were given uh, to King Jesus. Actually, there are five of them recorded in these verses. Now, the first one is recorded in verse 11. We read earlier, it talks, and it, there's two of them. It describes, or, or the title that was given to King Jesus, uh, that, that, that he's the faithful and the true. Okay, in verse 11, we saw that earlier. King Jesus is described as faithful. He's acknowledged as one who is dependable, reliable. He's trustworthy. Not only is he faithful, but he's also true. This characteristics convey authenticity, genuineness. There is no other king that can be compared with King Jesus. Because he is faithful and true, he has a right to judge and to rule. As we take a look at the third title, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's concealed. We, we, we see this in the latter part of verse uh, 12. It says, and he had a name written that no one knows but himself. Well, this concealed title cannot be grasped by human mind. We, we don't know too much about it. It's probably incomprehensible. So, but let us proceed and look at the next, next title that's given to King Jesus. And it's recorded in verse 14. We see in the latter part of verse 14, it says, And the name by which he is called is the word of God. So King Jesus is called the word of God, which depicts a perfect mediator. The word is uh, used for communication between God and man. That, that Jesus, that perfect mediator between God and man, he speaks on behalf of God. But he also speaks on behalf of man. In First uh, Timothy chapter two verse five, it says, "For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, 
the man Christ Jesus. We also know that Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14 is described as the incarnate word, that he became flesh, that he is God who became a man to identify with us. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And as a result, if we place our faith in him, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. And God then sees us not as filthy, wicked being, but as righteous. This gives him the authority to reign. And we come to the last autograph or title that was given to King Jesus. And it's recorded in in verse 16. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this final autograph or or title given to king is King of kings and lords of lords. He's superior above all kings. There's no comparison. To King Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, he has the right to rule. He's able to judge and he's able to reign and rule. And may we yield our allegiance to King Jesus. When King Jesus returns, he will judge evil. Persecution of the righteous will end. And Satan and his demons desire to reign over the earth will be crushed. Righteousness will prevail. King Jesus will reign alone. We see the heavenly being celebrating the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as a judge, as, as he judges his enemies. And establish his kingdom. And yet, also at the same time, he will wed his bride, the church. Truly, we do not deserve to be called King Jesus' bride, but God has chosen us and value us in spite of our sinfulness. Therefore, we owe our lives. King Jesus, may King Jesus seat on, the, on our throne and control our life. May we prepare ourselves to be ready for Christ's second coming. Let us pray. Lord, um, there's just great expectation of your return where justice will prevail where we will be your bride at the marriage of the lamb what, what great privilege we owe our life totally to you you saved us Lord out of the bondage of sin not only that, but you made us your bride. Lord, uh, may we prepare ourselves. May we 
seek to know you and your word and be obedient to your word. We seek to please you, Lord. Just us come bride getting ready for the for for that wedding day. You know, they, they want to make themselves as, as ready as possible. May we do likewise. Lord, um, may we represent you well. May we commit ourselves into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name.